Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening. I think that all depends upon when you are listening. Of course, my name is Robert, and I am the Recovery Guy. And uh, every now and then, every now and then, I have a guest in studio, but I'm very picky about who my guest would be because I'm very particular in terms of who I will put in front of you. And it's only people who I feel have recovered and maintain on a recovery journey. And today in studio, I have one of my most dear friends, and she is, of all things, an Al-Anon, which is <laughs> even more exciting because every alcoholic, every person of addiction has an Al-Anon on some level or another, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a sister, another sibling, whether it's your mom, whether it's your dad, we we major in holding codependence hostage because if we don't hold them hostage they will leave and therefore uh, the program of Al-Anon even exists uh, because those individuals need wellness also and today I have in studio my dear friend Susie and I met Susie a, a number of years ago and we have become fantastic friends matter of fact on a couple of occasions Laura and I have visited Florida and we've always made time to meet uh, with Susie. Matter of fact, um, Susie, if you go to uh, recoveryguy.org, you'll see a lot of uh, blogs that are written by Susie W and her desire to to share the, the Al-Anon message. So I will let uh, Susie uh, introduce herself and we'll get on with today's conversation. Susie, how are you? Hi, Robert. I am wonderful. I am honored to be your guest again. It is always a joy to talk all things recovery with you. I think we could talk about just about anything, but recovery is our favorite subject for sure. It's what it's what bound us together. I found you on Instagram six years ago, if you can believe that. it's This yeah. month is six years ago. Wow. And um, it, it's just incredible to me how different my life looks. I've just watched you continue to knock off year after year of your continuous sobriety, which is really inspiring. But it also has been a wonderful journey through my recovery and now um, my ability to look back and see how much the program of Al-Anon has influenced that. And then also reaching out to actively recovering addicts like many of continuously sober addicts that has that has profoundly impacted my wellness journey as well yeah. so thank you you and laura for being a part of my story you know i i think we we have to remember and you get it and many other alanons do in a select uh number of alcoholics and those addicted do but there's such a there's such a a meeting there's such a mingling between our need to feel good about who we are. Um, it's 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 almost like, you know, an addict needs an Al-Anon because we need someone to co-sign and put up with our shenanigans while we continue our selfish and self-centered life uh, with, um, again, see, needing a codependent to um, 
tell us that everything is okay, even though the wheels are coming off the wagon. <laughs> yes, and, we're good at and that. I, and, and I think in a very unhealthy way, an Al-Anon needs, and this is very general, correct me if I'm wrong or off-putting, but an Al-Anon needs a project, someone to think that they can fix, because they see something in us that's redeemable, even though everything else about us is a shambles. Is that is that close? Yeah, I would say an an unrecovered Al-Anon, an untreated Al-Anon. Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely. love when you say that an untreated Al-Anon. Yes, an untreated Al-Anon is absolutely one of those who sees the potential in others. And as you have said before, which I love, you're like, although all the evidence would point otherwise, yeah. <laughs> we would tell you that there's still hope. So Yes, an untreated Al-Anon absolutely is, it, it needs that in their life uh, for the same reason that I did before I got better, got, got well, is this ability to uh, find meaning in fixing everyone else because that keeps us from looking at our own, our own issues, our own life, our own instability. You know, and, and, and that's really true because as long as it's about someone else, why would I look mm -hmm. at me? Right? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, oftentimes uh, the, the person we're in a relationship with, again, dependent, regardless of what side of the table on, really becomes our higher power. Yeah. We call, we call denial a warm blanket in Al-Anon. <laughs> and I think one of my favorite blogs I ever wrote was on denial and I called it queen of the ostriches because yes, yes. I mean, we absolutely specialize in that putting our head in the sand even when, as you say, all the wheels are, are coming off. Yeah. And, you know, and we'll, we'll never admit that because when we do admit that, that means that something needs to change. And we're afraid of change because, you know, the only way for me to shave is to look in the mirror. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, therefore, I'll grow a disguise. Because yeah. the last thing I do, a matter of fact, I, I'll often share in my story, the day that I went into treatment on February 9th of 1986, um, I looked in the mirror and I realized that everyone was gone because yeah. there were there were no longer voices in my head wondering what I was doing. And when I looked in the mirror and the voices were silent, I realized that if something didn't change, I was going to die. Literally, yes. die. Not because yes. I've already been dead on so many other levels, but I was physically going to die, and that scared me into treatment that morning. Uh, yeah. and, and I and I think that feeling of being alone, that loneliness when it sets in, and that despair, and really, no one understands. See, Alanons are non-medicated version of an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, when when something makes me uncomfortable, I go drink, I go use, I go engage in a negative behavior, and that makes my feel good feel good. But yeah. what is what does an Al-Anon do? Well, their drug of choice is is this idea that you can control, manipulate, alter an outcome for someone else. Um, you know, live in that that warm blanket of denial of reality. It's using other people and relationships to keep you from looking at yourself. Our making our feel good feel good is is busying ourselves with everybody else's business instead of our own. Now, from a from an an Al-Anon um, apologist standpoint, and 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 if you were to describe Al-Anon as a as a recovery program for any future Al-Anons who are listening, uh, and also an an alcoholic that 
or an addict that you probably should consider going to Al-Anon like me. Um, how would you describe the program of Al-Anon um, in, a, in a general sense? I mean, I will tell you that the Al-Anon family groups, I'm going to tell you right out of right out of the book. This is right out of every intro and every meeting. We are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength, and hope in order to solve their common problems. We believe alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. And um, my my thought on it is just that it's it's for anyone if you've ever loved an addict or your life has been affected by addiction, then it's a program for you. It absolutely is. Um, we all live through these situations or circumstances that most people would find unbearable. And somehow <laughs> we have found a way either through denial or put, you know, whatever to have walked through them. But in this fellowship, what you find is that we can let go of our hopelessness, our helplessness, that there's another way to live. It's really a, a program of spiritual transformation. So, and, 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 you know, as you were speaking, I'm thinking, that's a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's mm -hmm. Narcotics Anonymous. That's Gamblers yeah. Anonymous. Yeah. Because your our drug is people. Yeah, yeah. I wow. I <laughs> that that's that's wise simplicity. I I love that uh, that wisdom, and 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 that's really true. Um, because we all have a drug of choice. Yeah. You know, we all need to be sedated because for whatever reason, our our pain is um, is unbearable, and we need to mask uh, our pain. Um, yeah. When. When did you discover, and, and I'm going to get personal here because I want people to really understand your story and maybe find themselves within your story. When did you, as Susie W., discover your need for for an Al-Anon, for some type of um, di uh, directional diversion uh, for yourself and, and for your children? Well, I will say I, I found out about Al-Anon from my therapist, but as as only God would have it, my therapist at the time was 20 years sober. So how cool oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. So I the day that I discovered that my life, as you call it, the wheels were falling off, like every part of my life, my my relationship with my husband of 23 years, I found out was, you know, uh, he was stepping outside the bounds of our marriage, that he had been secretly drinking, that there were layers and layers of the addiction. As you know, one addiction isn't enough. This disease is progressive. So given time, it 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 branches out into other things, you know, gambling and pills and pornography and all of those mm -hmm. things. And so when I discovered all of that, uh, February 17, so as I said, we're like at the six-year yeah. anniversary of all that. Um, flies, doesn't it? Yeah, I will, I will not forget that date. Yeah. So, and that was a 2017, um, I immediately started calling every therapist that I could find in my phone under the, you know, the search on Google. And, you know, I was under the impression ignorantly that, that these people would have receptionists like I do, and they don't. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, uh, that meant that I was leaving messages and I spent a lunch break just, just frantically leaving messages. I was on lunch break from patients and, um, and as, as, Absolutely, God would have it. The one that called me back first, his name was Scott, and he let me know that he was happened to be 20 years sober. Um, but he said, from what I hear from your story, there's a lot of pain there. How soon you know, can I see you? 
And so upon my first counseling session with him, he asked me about Al-Anon and I told him I didn't know about it. And he immediately recommended that I find a meeting. And so I, you know, came home like good little researcher. I've always been a good student. I, I looked up, you know, Al-Anon and found the, the closest meeting that was available. And it was a Wednesday night. I had just seen him on Wednesday. So I saw them Wednesday night. And uh, what I what I knew about myself and why I needed it, Robert, my life was void of things like mental and emotional sobriety. It was void of peace of mind and serenity. These mm -hmm. things don't, you know, enter a life that's cluttered with resentments and self-pity and this developed intolerance based off all the unacceptable behavior that I was accepting. And uh, what I learned in my first meet, I, I knew within a meeting or two that I had a great need of this, this fellowship because I saw people in there, Robert, when they would share some of their circumstances, they were on paper worse than I was experiencing. And, you know, somehow they were smiling and laughing and, you know, they had this, this vibrancy that I had lost um, in this disease. So I, I knew then that I needed it. <laughs> It was it was so obvious because I wanted that you know serenity that that serenity prayer almost seemed unreachable those first few meetings. You know it it almost I mean I love when you and I talk because what you talk about usually goes into dovetails into the next thing I want to address with you. Oh, and by the way, um, I, I think Alanon is so important. The other night I was in a meeting and I met a, a young man on a court card and. He was with um, his fiance, and she and he had been together for eight years. And and I gave him what what I thought was appropriate for him as a person seeking recovery and in and out. And he had another DUI, so now he had to go. Not only did he want to go, um, probably had to was more important than want to. And I looked at her and I said, "Look, I, I don't mean to offend you, uh, but there's something there's something wrong with you." You know, if something was not wrong with you, why would you stay with a guy who put you through hell for eight years? You know, you may consider you should consider going to Al-Anon. And and he said, oh, yeah, there's a meeting. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking yeah. to her, you know. Yeah. And I said, if if you expect this relationship to work, then you simultaneously need to uh, pursue your own wellness because your wellness can't come from him any more than his wellness can come from you. Yeah. So one of the words that you mentioned, and and maybe I'll combine both both questions, what, what happened, what transpired in your journey where you knew that you were in the right place and you went from going because it was recommended by someone else to going because it was recommended by your your realizing you were in the right room does that make sense oh yeah that's a great question because at some point it has to in all of our lives transition from a suggestion or something we're doing for someone else to something that we take ownership of mm -hmm. and then it becomes innately a part of something that we know we need to be well and it's one of those things that the better i get the more i want it the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the more i want it the better i get it. you know it's like one of those things that just feeds itself as we as we work on our wellness um i will tell you uh 
I knew I was in the right place. First of all, when they started sharing some of the slogans, they just really resonated with me. I loved one of the first ones I clung to, and I even taped a Q-tip on my mirror to which my then husband was like, what, what is that? Do you need to remember to buy Q-tips? I'm like, no, it's just a reminder. <laughs> but the Q-tip, which is quit taking it personal, which was really huge for me because I had gotten so engaged with you know, his behaviors and thinking they were all about me. And they were really, you know, that's, that's ridiculous, but it was such a great reminder to quit taking it personally. So I think for about six or eight months, I had a Q-tip taped on my mirror. Um, that the slogan easy does it, how important is it? You know, the, the world, when you live in active addiction, everything is screaming, important, 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 but not all of it's urgent. And so that was one of the things that came over time, this ability to discern, you know, you know, in his world, there was always an alarm going off, so to speak, you know, a, mm -hmm. a, a proverbial alarm, but I got to decide instead of reacting to every hot button, you know, these are certain things that I don't have to respond to. I can respond, not react, all of that. So I loved those slogans, the be still. Um, one, one of the people in my homeroom, he loved to say almost every meeting, don't just do something, sit there, you know, yeah. which is the opposite <laughs> of what every single untreated Al-Anon would ever do. I mean, the first thing we want to know, what can we do? What can we fix? Who can we help? You know, just ridiculous. This, this idea that we have the inability to just sit still, you know, believe it or not, the world will go on without us. People's yeah. circumstances will happen and probably for the good if we, if we don't interfere. So, um, and then something was said that I just love and I sent it to you last night, actually, the words were said, if he never gets sober, how long will you live this way? Wow. And that hit wow. me like an absolute dagger in my gut because I thought, and like you and I've talked about before, whenever something hits me in my pride, I know I have to look at it. And when I heard those words, they just hit me like, how long am I willing to live like this? Wow. And I knew, Robert, you know, we talk about, you know, this disease ends in death institutions or recovery. And it's exactly the same for Al-Anon's, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's suicide, whether it's mental illness, whether it's, you know, becoming so overwhelmed or, you know, whatever. It's it's the same thing. It's, it's no different. We can get just as sick without a substance. Um, and so that one, if he never gets sober, how long will you live this way? And then one of my favorite things that I heard, um, and this woman eventually became my sponsor, the three G's, get off his back, get out of his way and get on with your life. And I just, yeah, when I heard these things, I thought this is a program that really has, I, I mean, I could just, I was just early enough in it to know there could be another way. There was a path toward it. And those are the steps. And that I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired that I knew I wanted to live another way. Yeah. So I was I was willing to do whatever it took to follow the path that was laid out before me. You know, my sponsor is uh, 26 years now, uh, AA sober and 25 years Al-Anon. So, you know, similar to yourself, maybe 10 years behind you in your journey of recovery. But there's a lot of, of experience, strength and hope in that. Um, and so I, I, I just knew there was a path toward that emotional sobriety, that that mental peace, that serenity that we all talk about in the serenity prayer. So um, th those are the things that happen. And then I think the two pivotal things that I've shared before when I, I think it was like maybe my third or fourth meeting, I confided after the meeting in somebody who's still a dear friend to me. I just had lunch the other day with her. But 
she said, I mentioned to her, I said, oh, I just can't believe I'm teaching my 14-year-old how to be treated. And she said, oh, honey, you're teaching your eight-year-old how to be treated. <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. That will get a mama's attention. You know, like you said to that lady, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, and then the other thing um, that was said to me was, Susie, only you can decide how much unacceptable behavior is acceptable for you. And and I just, I, I mean, Robert, there's nothing about that that is an absolute truth. And so even though it was uncomfortable for me to hear, I blessed the women that were brave enough and had the balls to say to me those things that they said early on that really caused me to immediately be willing to go straight to that mirror and look in the mirror and say, God, I'm willing I'm willing to to take step one <laughs> and admit my powerlessness and then invite these steps in as a way to spiritual awakening and wellness. Well, you know, and what a relief. I remember mm -hmm. as as a person of recovery, you know, how afraid I was to be honest because you know, I thought if if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't like me and 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 I couldn't bear another person asked me to leave because by that time, my second wife told me to get out. Uh, my parents wouldn't have me over. I was unemployable. Um, my siblings had stopped speaking to me and I had no friends. And here I was in this room of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, knowing that I had to be honest, but I could only be honest to what I was comfortable with. Uh, anything more than that would expose uh, how sick I really was. And, and again, you might, you know, I know they say keep coming back, but you say keep coming back, but you don't know how twisted I am. Did you have that fear going in when oh, you realized? Because yeah. yeah, and, and, I mean, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say one thing. One of the things that Selena said in, in the speaker meeting I went to last Saturday, she said in her, in her moment, uh, of clarity and, and of belonging, she, she talked about wanting to stab her husband in the eye while he slept. And as she said this, a number of the women in the room started laughing. And she realized that she wasn't, she was more normal than she thought she was, you know, yeah. not that we would ever recommend stabbing your significant other in the eye while they sleep. But there's that anger, there's that there's the that, resentments, absolutely. Yeah, resentment, which yeah. people already talked about. So I want to touch on that, but yeah. uh, but it's interesting that that moment of belonging when when you read your preamble, there's a there's a fellowship uh, context to it. Yeah, there definitely is, and I will tell you, Robert, one of my greatest tools because I had a commute several days a week that was quite lengthy enough to get through a YouTube speaker meeting. And I just started rifling through the top 100, you know, Al-Anon speaker meetings on YouTube. And I would listen to these things. And, you know, there was a little bit of my story in all of them, not, not exactly my story in any of them. But when I would hear things like, you know, they were choking each other in bathtubs and, you know, trying to yeah. drown each other and almost, you know, attempted murders, I thought... Well, gosh, you know, because I, I did have a tremendous amount of shame uh, surrounding mm -hmm. my resentment toward him because it had just gotten to the point where you just get like, do I have to do everything? And why, you know, why did you choose that again? You know, it just at the end, by the time you you get to the point where you're, you know, saying I need help, there there were so many, you know, resentments in my heart. And as a, a woman who 
professes Christ with her mouth. You know, it was not hard for me to believe in a higher power. I have a tremendous amount of faith. And I knew I was betraying even my faith and my profession of faith by the way that I had allowed this bitter root to take hold in my heart. It was a full-on tree in my heart. It wasn't a bitter root. It had exploded into just this wild fire of, of resentment in my heart. And I knew that wasn't who I was. And further to the point, my children, you know, I, I've told you this before that like most of the time, if you ask kids of an untreated Al-Anon and an untreated addict, you know, most of the time they'd probably rather be with the addict before treatment, you know, because they're usually more fun, mm -hmm. less controlling, all that. And my kids, uh, it was a birthday dinner before this, this February 17 date. And I, I can't remember that we were all going around ordering and I apparently didn't think my children had ordered everything precisely enough for their taste. <laughs> and so I like called the, you know, before the server left, I was like, well, she needs ranch, and he, which I knew they would have asked for. But you know what? They could ask for it. I mean, and when when he walked away from the table, I will never forget my oldest child said, Mom, you're so controlling. And I could feel my heart just go, huh. Like I'm the crazy one, you know, that's that, that was that thing. And then their father laughed at, at the table over it. And I thought, Oh my word, this, I've got to take a look at this. And that was my first awareness. And it was before I knew about Al-Anon, but it was my first awareness that something was wrong inside of me and that I had allowed myself to get lost in this because people that knew me growing up called me a free spirit. How did I go from that to controlling? You know, it just, yeah. it's like this, this complete, you know, just like if you talk to yourself when you were a kid, you know, you probably never dreamed you'd be where you were that day in 1986 and in, in your first, you know, meeting. Yeah. How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. How did I get here? And so it's the same for us. Um, I did not grow up controlling and freaking out and, you know, all of that stuff or trying to, you know, like I remember my sponsor saying, how many different ways did you say it, Susie, to try to get him to understand? <laughs> and I just laugh mm -hmm. because it's true. We keep thinking if we say it another way, or maybe if I change it, you know, it's like, no, they, they will do and be exactly who they are. And it's up to me to decide how much I let that affect my life. Yeah. And, and as you're sharing, you know, again, there's so many universal truths that are, that are common between uh, a person in AA or NA and, and an Al-Anon. Um, and, and as you were sharing, I'm thinking lack of power, that was my dilemma, you know, yeah. and, and I would imagine even more so it's true with an Al-Anon because mm -hmm. again, I can sedate myself, right? <laughs> I can, I can lessen the impact of anything based on the right amount of alcohol or drugs or, or distracting behavior that would also, you know, add, add to, uh, my my addiction and just made me sicker than than others in many ways but you know as 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 i'm hearing you share about ordering your food for your kids did you find yourself the more you realized you didn't have any control over your significant other the more control you tried to exhibit in the life of your children and in your in your profession and your your staff and things 100% Robert you know how you can spot an untreated Al-Anon <laughs> they're the same people that have like a planner with 72 highlighters they plan the planners they have a planner for this they have a, a food lit you know they've got a meal plan for the week they you know they have their I'm, I'm saying this like it's not me um my spice rack is alphabetized like there there is I'm, I'm not even kidding you it's like 
That's exactly what happens when there is this thing in your life that you can't control. You try to exert control in every other area to the point where we would damage relationships as much as the addict. I mean, truly, um, you know, we probably all know people in our lives like, like I was, you know, where you, you start alienating people because you start telling everyone else what to do. And, uh, you know, I told you one of my biggest takeaways early on in Al-Anon is the word should is like cursing in church. You know, I just, unless I am using it toward myself, it simply is inappropriate for me to tell anybody else what they should do. You know, it's, it's one thing when you're talking about a minor child where you're trying to keep them out of the road when they're playing or something outside. I mean, obviously there's appropriate levels of that, but at this point in my children's life and my life, um, and my, my ex-husband's life, like they're my addicts, like there was just no you know, there was no need for me to be shooting all over them the way I was. You know, and I want to get back to something you had said. And and once again, you, you transitioned to it perfectly where it's almost like turning the mirror on ourselves. One of the things you had said previously was the amount of resentment you had. At what point did you realize that the only solvable resentment you had was when you dealt with your self-resentment and started working on you instead of working on uh, your addict? Oh, that is such a good question, Robert. You know, the beautiful thing about Al-Anon is it's like this spiritual renovation project within ourselves. I love that. Spiritual renovation. Yeah, it's like a a spiritual renovation. Like I liken it to like literally like a a reno project. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've probably done a home improvement project. You know, it's like first... We have to like look at ourselves and that, that awareness did come to me. I mean, I, I immediately, I'd say it wasn't even a month or two in. I was so willing to accept those steps one, two, and three, the powerlessness. I, I was so aware of my powerlessness that it was almost a relief to fall into steps one, two, and three and allow, you know, I can't, he can, I'll let him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, um, so I, I became very aware that the only thing I could change was myself, the only thing. And so first, it's like we remove all the old habits, the patterns, the mindsets that we once clung to. I mean, what good were they doing? They got me where I yeah. was. That, that was clearly not well. So first, it's like gut, the gut job is removing all of that. That's, that's the, the demo part of the renovation. Um, you know, it, it's, we, we take out all the undermining framework that was you know, within ourselves. And I feel like that's where the real transformation first begins. It's when we allow our higher power to help us really literally do a gut job, Robert, you have to, you have to be willing to look at yourself honestly, honestly, with radical acceptance of where my life was at the time, the choices that I was making, the patterns that I had developed, the habits that I had developed, all of that and letting letting my higher power literally take me down to the studs. And some of those, frankly, were probably termite infested, let's be mm-hmm. honest. <laughs> I mean, I stayed 23 years, Robert. So if you yeah. thought something was wrong with the woman that had been there eight years, I can't imagine yeah. what you, you know, what you thought of me. Um, and that that's like this was like the beginning of the transformation. So the first part, the demo, is is just being radically honest with ourselves. Um, and then we begin to replace and revitalize. And this is where we, we input all the new ways of thinking. And that's through the steps. And obviously, with the help of a sponsor, I'm a big believer in that. I, I think you can do the steps by yourself, but it's not the same. They lose their impact. They 
they it's a watered down version when you don't bring someone into it and you can't really do steps four and five. Without no, them. And, and, and I agree because I think trying to do this by yourself uh, goes against every principle because you, you have to get rid of tradition one where yeah. it says our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon a unity. There's a sense of yeah. unity. And if I'm by myself, there's no unity. There's no yeah. unity in one. And, and and trying to do the steps by myself would mean to me, as I understand the program of recovery, would be a half measure. And it says yeah. half measures avail us nothing. Avail us nothing. Agree. Yeah. 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 And then um, it's like once we once we incorporate those new habits and like kind of attitudes, it's new attitudes of our heart too. Um, that's when I began to act and respond differently to everything that was the same things were happening and I acted and responded differently. Um, it's like, you know, it's like a, a spiritual renovation. It becomes like the ultimate before and after the ultimate glow up really. Um, and it takes, I mean, honestly, Robert, there's no renovation that isn't time consuming and painful sometimes. So this mm -hmm. spiritual transformation is both time consuming and often painful um, but it's necessary and it is beyond rewarding. I mean, it yeah. is infinitely and ultimately rewarding work. No, you know, and, and as you were sharing, I, I was thinking about some projects that I, that I've done in the backyard and, and, uh, you know, whether it was a concrete slab I was laying or, or hollowing out some ground. And so in, in Utah and I would imagine other places, you have to call before you dig. Before you dig, you got to realize what 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 is under there. What am I going to uncover, and then and then you decide whether or not how far how deep you can dig, how deep you should dig. Does the soil need to be treated? Because the last thing you want to do is build a good building on top of a foundation mm. that has something wrong with it because yes. the building is going to be affected. You know, yes. and. and when we put in the footings, I don't know a lot about building, but I know enough to know that there's a there's a a connection to to my to my recovery. One of the things that I'm so excited about you and why you and I are such great friends is I I know your life has been transformed by your uh, by your faith. You know, we we are transformed by the renewing of our faith. Um, but also I know that the program of Al-Anon has transformed you in your life. In what areas do you think are most significant, great milestones where, where you've used the 12 steps of recovery to have that life transformation? Well, first of all, I just want to echo what you say. It, it is absolutely transformative. And across the board, Robert, the steps and traditions have absolutely radically transformed all of my relationships with my family, with my friends, um, work relationships, work environment things. Um, the steps and traditions together have just transformed those. I feel like the traditions can apply more to, you know, relationships with others, 
But honestly, the relationship that the recovery program has, has transformed the most is the relationship I have with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's been the most powerful transformation. Um, I'm not afraid to look in the mirror anymore, and I don't just mean the mirror; I mean figuratively. I'm not afraid to go under the foundation and say, you know, if I need to work on this again, every once in a while, things come up in our lives, or a, a new challenge presents itself, and it allows me to walk back through that personal inventory. And where the first time I did it, you know, it's kind of like when you have somebody come over, like watch one of those shows for renovations, and they tell them on the surface, like, this is what I think we're going to have to do. And how many times once they pull stuff off yeah. and pull the facade off, is there way more underneath to deal with than you I've ever watched saw? Pro- I've person. watched Property Brothers more than once. Yes. I know exactly what yes, you're talking exactly. about. So there's always this unbudgeted, you know, care that needs to be attended to. And I will say in my life, every time that I've had to go back in and look at that framework and that foundation, I found that there was something that I was either unwilling or unaware that I need to look at before. And so that's why this is a lifetime process, mm-hmm. I believe. One time you asked me to share why I kept going because I wasn't living with an addict anymore. But this is why, because these things will always resurface, whether it's, a, it's something in the work environment, something between my children as they grow and transition, you know, the stakes get higher as they get older. You know, we go from talking about, you know, what high school to what college to now a marriage partner potentially or you know just all of those things and now with with their father being terminally ill um that that has presented a whole nother layer of depth of wound for Mm -hmm. them and for me that requires us to to go back through this personal inventory and see how the steps apply so the relationship i have with myself is one where uh i don't fear what that is i'm not afraid to uh need help. I'm not afraid of my dependence on my higher power. Um, I don't feel like I need to say, I got this, God, you know, I I got this because I know I don't. I know what Mm -hmm. that path led me to. And so I am completely okay with living surrendered to a higher power to help me with these things. And I think that's where a lot of us, we get this, you know, grit it out, muscle it out, grind it out, you know, you know, hustle it out. Okay. But that, that availed us. What? (laughs) That's a half measure, not surrendering to our higher power is the biggest half measure we'll ever undo ourselves with. So I I would say it's, it's transformed my relationship with myself, but also looking more, it, it allowed me to look at myself, you know, uh, you incorporate a lot of other teachers into your recovery and, uh, Evans, uh, I mean, uh, Tony Robbins, not Tony Evans, Tony Robbins gives this analogy of our lives being like a wheel and the spokes Mm -hmm. on the wheel are what support it. And if any of those spokes is broken, you have a flat spot on the wheel. And so it doesn't roll properly. Yes, you can still make forward motion, but you hit this thud every so often. And so I think the other way it's transformed, it's allowed me to have this alignment physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally that are are working in alignment with each other. And uh, there, there was a quote, oh, I have to find it. It was, it said something like one person in alignment can transform more in the world than a thousand people not in alignment. And I thought that was really powerful. No. And I, and I love that. And, and, you know, a couple of things come to mind as you share. And once again, there's such a, there's such a, a cohesiveness between what you're saying and what, what I've come to believe in, in, in my journey of recovery. And that's exactly what it is. It is a journey, you know, and I was talking to my friend, New York Dave the other day and and Dave's got going on 29 years so he's been around a minute. <laughs> yes. And 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 we were 
we were talking about um, about the only place in the 12 steps of recovery where alcohol is mentioned is in the first half of of step one you know we are powerless over alcohol and our life had become unmanageable other than that there it, it's about living and that's why 12-step program is we believe this program will have its benefit for all you know and and i'm reminded that i never want to wake up unless i'm in heaven <laughs> i never want to wake up thinking i'm done you know, mm, because so I always know that I can be a better version of me, starting with how good of a husband and how sensitive can I be to Laura? You mm. know, how good of a caring father and loving father can I be? You know, the most important roles, how much of a child of God can I be? How good of a husband can I be? Uh, you know, how good of a father, how good of a grandfather, how good of a sibling, how good of a friend, how good, how good, how good down the line but everything starts with god as we yes. understood god that's why right after that initial surrender in step one comes the introduction to a power greater than ourselves that could restore us right yeah. to whatever condition in this case um sanity and so there's a great um role you know and 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 you <clears throat> because you're responsible for for these younger humans that you help bring into their life, you know, they need to know that mom is doing good. Yeah. And you need to know that you are setting an example to them that they might avoid some of the challenges that you have. Obviously you can't be responsible for how they do or what they don't do, but you can be responsible for the image that you portray. How is that shaped and and, wow. and how do you view your responsibility as an Al-Anon, but most importantly, as a mom? Yeah, I think this is the area where I am the most grateful for finding the program when I still had lots of years with my children under roof. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're up to, you know, six years now and, um, you know, they're still going to be here a bit longer, especially Meredith. And I, I realized, I, I didn't even realize how significant it was for me until I had spent time in the program and realized how many families this is a generational thing for. Mm -hmm. And then how many of the women in my home group actually said to me, I so wish that I had found these rooms when my kids were your kids age or yeah. my greatest regret is that I did not find these rooms when I still had my children at home, or I'm so jealous that, you know, different that message was given to me over and over, over the years from women in and out of, of my home group. And all I can say, Robert is it has allowed my children to live a with peace under the roof, B with an absolute awareness that I am okay, that we are going to be okay. And that because of our higher power, that whatever circumstances come, there will be a path through them. And so they don't ever wonder what's happening. We're not walking on eggshells anymore. I mean, all these things that happen when you live in active addiction, everyone around you, you know, they, I, I remember saying to the addict once, we cannot forget the conversations that you don't remember. We don't have the luxury of forgetting the wow. ones because, you know, That's often deep. in a, yeah, often in a blackout, you know, we would say these things or do these things or, you know, it just a lot, a lot of stuff happened and things were said that were so hurtful and harmful, but we just don't, you know, the, 
the Al-Anons, the sober, we don't have the luxury of forgetting a conversation that you'll never remember. See, um, see let, 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 let me interrupt you because that is something that every addict needs to understand. I think that is so critical because I want to just say, I'm sorry, I'm living a new way. And I expect you to just go along for the ride. And yet you're still wounded. You're still affected. And boy, that I want you to talk about that a little bit more in the rest of the time we have, because I think of everything that we've just discussed about from, from, from a relationship standpoint, if, if our listeners are in a relationship with an Al-Anon or an Al-Anon is still in a relationship with an addict, this is something that we both need to hear, but especially the addict. So talk about that again. Yeah. So for example, uh, like you were saying, Robert, uh, like I will give you a current example right now. He's not understanding why his oldest child is not willing to be in communication right now. And mm -hmm. it is the, it, it, this is a girl who has dug deep into trauma therapy. I mean, she's a, a student of the word. She she is surrendered to her higher power. And in her mind, the, the healthiest choice she can make right now is to not have any contact. Um, and because he does not remember the circumstances under which he left the last time, um, he is mystified as to why she would not want to be in contact with him. And I reminded him again, I said, I am sorry that you do not remember the events that she is unable to forget. Wow. Um, he was in a blackout on his way to the airport. There was just, just a whole lot of just absolutely unacceptable circumstances that they walked through. And it included me having to leave work and race to the airport. Um, it, it just, it was a horrific day. Uh, one, one of the worst. And um, he simply doesn't remember it. And it's, it's not something that I would hold against him. I don't have a resentment toward him that he doesn't remember. It's the nature of the illness under active addiction. But to think that you could just be sober now and 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 believe that that would have no impact on the people that love you the most is is just absolute. That's denial. That's yeah. king of the ostrich. You know that is an equal equally toxic use of denial and in some cases it may not even be denial if you are living you know where you are blacking out and using to the point of you know near unconsciousness then don't waltz back into our lives sober and expect that all of those things that you don't remember didn't happen you know it's it would be fair to say what is it that i need you know if you're really honestly wanting to make amends ask them what what have i done what what do I not remember? What? How can I understand the level of of amends that I might need to make? Yeah, you know, and I I know that's one of those things where you have to know where on that where to make amends would be harmful to myself. You know, if you're not ready to hear that and you don't have enough recovery under your belt to understand that this is this is a them thing and not a you thing. If you mm -hmm. if you don't have the bandwidth to listen to them and hold that without letting it fill you with shame and going back to using, then don't ask. You know, you're not ready yet. But when you get to the point that you are, which I don't think would maybe even be in the first few years of sobriety, like that guy that was newly sober that you were just talking about earlier today. But, you know, you're going to have to have a hell of amount of recovery under your belt and self-awareness to be able to ask those questions honestly and be able to accept the answers. Mm -hmm. 
No, and, and I find that to be very true in my life and relationships with um, uh, important people in my life. Um, and, and you know Laura, and you know some of her story. Um, but there are things that Laura, uh, for those of you who don't know, Laura's my wife. We've been together over 34 years. I met her in two and a half years. She's a beauty. Years, I two love and her. Half years, two and a half years of recovery, and uh, I still thank God every day. Uh, but there were things about Laura's dad, who was very mean and probably bipolar and, and an addict himself. There are things that he said and did to her that she just will never have a successful relationship because he has never acknowledged doing those things. And, and she's a 54 year old person. And, and yet, and these are things that happened to her 40 years ago. And yet she still in some ways is wounded. She doesn't allow it to affect her, uh, but she's wounded never, nevertheless. And, uh, and I yeah. think it's really important for us addicts to remember how badly we did wound you along the way and, and how he, we have to walk in. Well, and I don't think the point of understanding, it's not to give more shame. Like that is the most mm -hmm. toxic, emotion, you know, and, and, and all of recovery for both of us, the shame just has no place in our recovery. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you need to know just so that you can understand why yeah. there may be healing work that needs to take place. I mean, that's where to me, the work is the most powerful. I, if you would have told me that I could sit here with you and not have anger in my heart or resentment in my heart, even with these most recent circumstances with my children, I know exactly why they're hurting, yeah. but I also have a tremendous amount of compassion for the addict and knowing that there, there is so much unwellness there mm -hmm. that I, I don't, I, I don't hate him. I don't wish him ill. I don't, I, I wish with all of my heart that he could experience the freedom of serenity. You know, that, no. that would be my greatest hope, but it does not allow me to get dragged into the space emotionally that lets me start making bad decisions, you know, for myself and my serenity, because that would do nothing for my children or our home. You know, I had a, I have someone very close to me who a number of years ago in a conversation, I was talking about in, in increasing our relationship and, and, and our degree of communication. And this person said to me, we may never be closer than we are right now. If that's okay with you, we can have a relationship. If it's not okay with you, there's nothing I can do. I was crushed because mm. this person's very important to me and I was crushed. And yet I knew what the boundaries were. I knew, you know, what my expectation it, it, you know, and, and it took a, it took a lot of soul searching. Um, and in some ways, as painful it was, I was relieved because I realized I don't, I don't have to own that, you know, no. and I think that kind of transparency and honesty is so important on both sides of the table. It was important for them to say it. Yes, because they were standing up for themselves the best way they knew how. And this is a very healthy person. Um, and it was good for me to hear because I realized that there's some damage that just just not going to be undone. And and that's just the way it is. It, and, and it's not because she doesn't like me or or anything like that. It's just that, you know. Uh, there was too many things that were broken along the way and they're, you know, Humpty Dumpty is, is, is not going to be completely put back together again. And that has yeah. to be okay with me because if it's not, 
uh, I'll eventually gain a resentment and I'll use it as a blockage to the serenity that I know recovery can bring me. Yeah, I think it's important to realize what you just said, Robert, because it means for both people, both healthy people, the Al-Anon side and the addict side, that we are able to heal and and offer forgiveness to ourselves and or to others or both. And we are we do not have to maintain relationship in order to be clean emotionally. Yeah. In other words, to live clean emotionally means that you don't leave things unsaid that need to be said or apologies. So in her case, it was letting you know her boundary. And in your case, it was accepting it. But you can live relationally clean without keeping people in your life. It's not always healthy for one side or the other to maintain relationship. But that's not a sign of the health of the individual, you know, so it's, it's more important that I live relationally clean with everyone mm -hmm. in my life. And what I've learned in my recovery journey is that means my relationships began to look different with some people. And that was okay. I had to be okay with that as a recovering people pleaser. I had to accept that for me to be healthy and live in congruency with what I knew was right. It meant there might be people that I did not maintain the same level of relationship. And it's not because they're bad and I'm good or I'm bad and they're good it's it's none of that it's what's necessary um the one thing i'll say you know i know one of the things we were talking about was um you know why it's important that both sides uh you know get pursue recovery and what i can tell you is if the addict pursues recovery and and i don't um it, it's very likely that inadvertently i will undermine their recovery yeah, you know, it, not intentionally, but I will undermine their recovery, um, which means things can look different. It, it will it will make something uncomfortable for the person in recovery, and so either it will alter our relationship permanently, or they will use again. You know, it's it, and and neither one of those are a great option. Whereas if I were to seek recovery and the addict didn't, which is more my story, um, you know, it it then means. You know, like that whole conversation we've had about hostages and hostage taking, mm -hmm. which I yeah. love and it relates to that. You know, if if I get better and they don't, all of a sudden, this means there's going to be a change in the relationship. Yeah. And it requires me to look at it. And am I brave enough if I get better and they don't to say, what then am I willing to accept in this relationship? Um, you know, it may mean that there's, you know, a radical awareness that I can't stay in this relationship mm -hmm. or it may make the addicts so uncomfortable, my well living that they're like, I've got to get better. I want a part of this, you know? So it's, it's ideal if both people are seeking. I mean, I mean the perfect world is that the addict and the Al-Anon both, that both partners in those relationships go get help because the one will automatically reinforce the other. If you're getting better and I'm getting better, I'm not going to undermine your recovery and you're not going to force me to look at whether or not, we can maintain a relationship mm -hmm. yeah yeah there needs to be balance and when we talked about alignment there there needs to be that alignment i know a person who was um, early in recovery there within their first 50 days and in the beginning their significant other would rather have them drink yeah. because they were going the one was standing still and the other was trying to work through the challenges of not drinking yeah. which there there are a lot in the beginning and and the other person you know just didn't know what to do when and now they're going to Al-Anon and they're pursuing their own path and giving that person the room to to recover while they work on who they are as well
you know, um, yeah, it's interesting well, when we get better, there are people in our lives who need us sick to be in relationship with us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a whole nother conversation yeah. because, yeah. uh, for me to get well, um, I can't piggyback off of your wellness. I need to look in my own mirror, see my own defects of character, my own lack of a power greater than me that I'm not relying on and say, I can't, he can, and I think I'll let him, yes. which are which are the first three steps of recovery. Hey, in two minutes, yes. uh, what would you say to the alcoholic and the Al-Anon about what Al-Anon as a program of recovery has to offer? Well, I would just say, first thing to recognize is that you're not alone. I mean, this is such a widespread disease. So do not let your fear or shame of, of admitting that there's a problem, just you are not alone. And that I believe that both helplessness and hopelessness are the perfect starting point to get help in Al-Anon. I mean, that's the perfect entry point to Al-Anon. Come in hopeless, come in helpless. And I promise you, there is something beyond that. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, that flat on your back for Al-Anons, that's our rock bottom. That that fully helpless, hopeless feeling is is just the perfect the perfect starting point for step one. It really is. Um, and I just, I feel like letting people know that there is a possibility of serenity, you know, this, this mental and emotional uh, sobriety and wellness are possible. And um, I just, I know that this program offers a way to it. I'm sure there are other ways. This is the way I know it's worked for me. Mm -hmm. So it's the one I can share. Um, but if you, if you feel helpless and hopeless and you're like, they're just, no, you just can't possibly understand my story, you know, start listening. You, you require zero commitment on your part to tune into YouTube and pull up Alan on speakers and just listen to the most listened to ones. There's a reason they're the most listened to, you know, mm -hmm. there, there is yeah. a lot of information there that will allow you to see similarities to your story. And, and, you know, Alan on WSO.org type it in. All they ask for is your zip code. It'll pull up meetings nearby. It'll let you know if they're open meetings. It'll let you know if they're for newcomers. It'll it'll let you know all that. Um, and you can buy the literature now on Amazon. You don't have to just get it, you know, directly through the World Service Organization. So um, those are some great starting points, mm -hmm. you know, to find it. Um, and you can certainly, you know, reach out to me on Instagram. It's at SuzyDMD, S-U-Z-Y-D-M-D. And just shoot me a message request and just say, you know, I, I'm a friend of Robert's or I listen to the podcast and I will immediately accept your friend request. And we can, I can, you know, be as much encouragement as I can from a distance and helping you find resources and, and accounts that will also promote your wellness journey. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, and as usual, you and I could have another cup of tea <laughs> and, and talk forever because yeah. we're in such great alignment. I I find uh, our friendship to to be in such agreement. Um, yes, because the program of Al-Anon saves lives, just like the program of Alcoholics Anonymous saves lives. Yes, um, in a in a literal sense, not just yeah. not, not just in a spiritual, emotional, or mental, but it often saves the the physical life of a person because the despair that is wrapped around codependency of an Al-Anon and the addiction of an addict. Um, causes far too many people to think that their life doesn't have value and they decide not to live. And yeah. uh, we, we all have stories about people, you know, getting to the end of their rope and, uh, and alone in despair. And, and both you and I and those who are active recovery members 
of, uh, of programs uh, know what that's like, and we don't want anyone, as Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA, would, would call it needless suffering. Yes. You know? So anyone out there who is suffering, you're suffering needlessly because yes. there's an Al-Anon and there's an AA and other 12-step programs uh, that can that can help you recover from that seemingly uh, hopeless state of mind and body. So, Susie, thank you, as usual, for being a part of our recovery journey. And I hope if you are uh, a um, qualify for Al-Anon, you go. If you qualify for AA, you go. If you qualify for both, you just seek recovery uh, the best way that you possibly can. And don't forget to go to recoveryguy.org, uh, your favorite podcast channel for Recovery Guy podcasts. And of course, uh, my shameful self-promoting, you can go to YouTube for Real Recovery Guy. And if there's anything I can do for you on Instagram, let me know uh, at recovery underscore guy. And I will assist you uh, the best way that I know how, which is the 12 steps of recovery and a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. So thank you very much for being a part of today's podcast and we wish you well. Have a great day, Susie. Thank you, Robert. Bye. Love to you and Laura. Laura.